0: Good morning, everyone. As Amanda said, my name's Jess. This morning, I've got the privilege of reading God's Word, which is just up on the screen behind me. So Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from our Father, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of God.
1: Good morning, everybody. Great to see you all here today. My name's Luke. I'm really thrilled that we can open up the book of Colossians together over the next eight weeks or so. Uh, do scan for the talk outline if that's helpful. Uh, there's paper copies as well uh, at the front uh, welcome table. As we begin, I would like you, just for a moment or two, to turn to the person next to you, or if you're an introvert, just by yourself is fine. Um, I want to be kind to everyone, okay? It's fine. Um, and, and just ask yourself, ask those around you, This question, I'll say it in two ways, this question, uh, what inputs does God give us to help us thrive as Christians? What what does God give us to help us thrive as a Christian? Or another way of saying it is, what are some of the marks of being God's people? What what, what inputs does God give us to thrive? What are the marks of being God's people? Just talk to the person next to you, Um, let's get us thinking about what we're about to unpack. So just one moment, I'll time it and then call you back, go, discuss. What do you reckon? What's the answer? know there's lots of good answers, and I'm, I'm fishing for one particular answer or two, so I'm setting you up to fail in a little way, but um, what what have you got? Just yell one at me. What's it, what does God help it to thrive as Christians? What are some of the inputs? The church. the church. Excellent. Great. Good. The church is one. Another one. The Bible. Yes. The Spirit. Grace and mercy. Wonderful. Prayer. Helping other people, yes, as we saw in the all ages. One more. Well, 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 I'll tell you Um, today, the two that oh, it's gone flat. The two that I want to press in on. One of them was prayer, and the other one is the gospel. Uh, God gives us the gospel and prayer to carry on. In fact, the gospel is how we thrive as Christians. The gospel is how we carry on in the faith even in the pressure of our culture, my challenge to us today and for all of Colossians is to carry on in the gospel. Carry on in the gospel and pray that others would too. Carry on in the gospel and pray that others would too. That's what I want to draw out. The other things you mentioned are, of course, wonderful and important, but we're just going to look at those two from this passage. Carry on in the gospel and let's pray that others will carry on too. Now, when Paul wrote uh, to the Colossian church around eighty sixty, it was a new church plant. And it was planted by Epaphras, who was a dear friend of Paul. Uh, he was from the Lycus Valley, Epaphras was. And he planted three churches in this area on the screen, uh, Laodicea, Colosse, and Hierapolis. Uh, the, they worked closely together, these three churches. They shared people and ministry resources. And the distance was around about Colossae to Laodicea. It was about us to Trinity Church Adelaide away. Okay, so reasonably close, sharing resources. And, and Epaphras was deeply invested into the church at Colossae, in fact, all the churches. So invested was he that he went to Paul, and Paul was in prison, either in Rome or, or um, Ephesus, depending on where you want to place him at this point in time. And he, Epaphras went to Paul to tell them the Colossian church is thriving, but they're facing pressure from their culture, tempting them to turn away from Jesus. These new believers are thriving, but they're tempted to to turn away from the pressure of what's around them. And I reckon each of us can relate to that pressure to turn away from Jesus just a little bit. The people you work with, the decisions you have to make at work, the classes at uni, school, those you live with, what you consume online and watch, all of that has a massive influence on shaping our views and opinions. And sometimes, that's not, God's, that's not an opinion for God's vision for life. And it can be tempting to shift just a little bit, can't it, from God's agenda. And as a new church plant, about seven years old, when this letter was written, the Colossian believers felt this, and so Paul writes to them. And he writes to them to encourage them to stand firm as the wind of influence blow, and he does that by giving them a huge dose of of the supremacy of Jesus. We can summarise the message of Colossians as keep faith in this Jesus and carry on. Not keep calm and carry on, but keep faith and carry on. We carry on in the Gospel and we pray for others that they would as well. The letter begins with Paul and Timothy, who are both authors here, reminding the believers of who they are because of who Jesus has made them. Look at what he says in the beginning. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. They're holy because they're in Christ. Do you know the most common way the New Testament uses to talk of a Christian describing a Jesus follower is the phrase in Christ. Christian is not a bad word, but in Christ is more positional and relational. Relational. It reminds you of the foundation and and our foundation of life with Jesus, to be in Him. And as you begin Colossians, just just sit with me for a few moments in this phrase, in Christ, and let's see why this matters for everything else Paul is going to say. To be in Christ means at least, and there's more, but at least three things. Firstly, it means there's been a reunion, something lost at the fall. But being in Christ is to be put back into a relationship with God through a mediator suited to the task, and his name is Jesus. And so to be in Christ is to be united or reunited back to God. Secondly, to be in Christ is to also have the revelation of our sin and need for grace and mercy. A few weeks ago, our toilet broke, and I realized that when I saw water all over the floor, and I cleaned it up. And then the water came back, so I cleaned it up and the water came back. And then I turned the tap off, and then I took the lid off, the toilet cistern and saw it was cracked, and I turned it on and water went everywhere all over the place. I was very good at cleaning up the water, I was. But unless I had the revelation of why that's happening and how that's out of sort with the intent for what the toilet's supposed to do, I'll forever be frustrated cleaning up a mess every single day. And thankfully, the plumber came and he fixed it and he worked all that needed to happen to fix that. I couldn't do that. I could clean up, but the plumber made new. And so to be in Christ is to realize the frustration and limitations and pressure of life that you and me face arise from a broken world of sin that's also in me, that's leaking out all over the place. And to be in Christ gives us the revelation of sin and our need for grace that comes from trusting Jesus to be made new. Not just fixing up a little bit, like mopping up the floor, but made totally new. And then being in Christ is about being revisioned. That is, to be in Christ gives us a new birth into his kingdom, where you and me begin to have a vision for life that comes from the knowledge of God. And as we begin Colossians, it will be helpful to ask yourself the question, are you in Christ? Have you been revisioned? Do you have a reunion with God through Jesus and do you have the revelation for sin and mercy? I have longer than four minutes and 50 seconds. Are you in Christ? Because the next 12 verses are a prayer... In two parts, thanking God that the Colossian believers have heard the gospel and are in Christ. So it's a prayer for those in Christ. And praying that God will mature them in the gospel more and more because only being in Christ can we pray that way for others. And only being in Christ can you carry on in the gospel yourself. So, in verse 5, Paul underscores this thanking God they've heard the gospel by saying you've truly understood God's grace. His hope and prayer is the encouragement that that without a doubt, they are Christians. He's heard of their faith and their love for all God's people that comes from their future hope. Faith, hope, thank you, and love. Those three ideas, faith in God, hope for the future, a love for God's people, are the evidence of believing in the gospel of grace. This morning, do you want need the confidence to know you're a child of God in Christ. Well, it comes down to those three things. Just consider, faith in God is to say He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. To recognize that, that Jesus is God and God is His Father, is not effort on our part, but it rests totally in the object we trust, and that's Jesus. It's not the act of faith or the attitude of faith or the the nature of faith, but it's Christ Himself we have faith in. Only Jesus is enough, and there is only one God who is the Father of this Jesus, and we have faith in Him. And Paul's thrilled they get that. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. I'm thrilled to bits that you understand that. And the next, what comes after that, is a love for God's people that flourishes. You see, we have faith in God through Christ that brings us into a relationship with other believers. In Tasmania, a leech sold an 80-year-old mystery of someone who was murdered. A leech. A leech was found with blood and they did a DNA test and they found out whose blood it was and how they died. Incredible. 80 years. This leech is forever known as the leech that solved the mystery of the murder. And I wonder... uh, long after you're gone, what will you be known for? What do you want to be known for? What are you known for? You know, Paul never met the Colossian believers. But their reputation and love for Jesus and others had gone before them. That's what they're known for. They are known for a faith in Christ and the love for all of God's people. And that springs up from the hope stored for them in heaven. This is like something you put on the top shelf, hope. Safely until the right time. Hope is top-shelf Christian assurance of what's to come. Now, importantly, Paul says this faith and love they have comes from the hope reserved in heaven. This is stored up for them, something God has done, but it flows to them presently. It's not just future. Hope is the GPS, the navigation we need for our present life. It's not luck, it's not an algorithm, it's not horoscopes or stars. It is a seven and eight, say, verse seven and eight, a hope that comes from hearing the gospel and believing in it. You see, the confidence you and me have as a Christian isn't what we do, is not the fruit we produce or our experience in the church, it's wholly in Jesus and only in Jesus. Of faith in God, of the hope to come that visions us now to live well and a love for God's people. When we truly understand that and God's grace, fruit comes from that, which is what Paul says in 6 and verse 10. Fruit is a metaphor for our inner life to be productive in such a way that it shows. Notice in verse 6, fruit comes firstly from the gospel that changes us, so the inner workings of God to change us. And then in verse 10, it's spoken of as a result of living a life of wisdom that God gives us. It's an inside-out thing that happens, that's the fruit. And Paul wants to give them a confidence as Christians in the faith, hope and love they have. All to the praise of God, to praise God for the fruit of the gospel at work in them. Which is why Paul then goes on to pray in verse 9 and says, for this reason... I'm not just praising God for you, that you've got faith, hope, love, that you're saved, that you get the gospel. No, I'm I'm not just praising God for you, I'm praying to God for you. What's so incredible about the way Paul viewed his prayer was that it was the means and the way in which God is going to fill them with the knowledge of him to carry on and live well. In fact, you get the sense that not to pray that way for the Colossian believers would be to shortchange them from the wisdom of God in their life which is why Paul says, I never stop praying this way for you. Do you know the best way to pray for someone, whether you've known them for one minute or 90 years, is to pray that God would fill them more and more with the knowledge of his character and wisdom to live well, which is is where verse 10 is leading to, so that you may live a life. That long phrase captures the nature of Paul's prayer which is all about conducting your life worthy of being in Christ. His prayer is fulfilling to push them to then be living. And notice how it happens, through the knowledge of God. Consider, I can tell you, through information I've gleaned, that using data and charts and Google searches and everything, that the number two show on Netflix of all time that's never shifted from number two is Friends. I have information that can support that. But unless I know something about that, unless I watch the show or read into it, i have no knowledge as to why that information supports that particular claim. I need knowledge to tell me why that is so, not just information. Knowledge to understand the facts and the details of how to apply that to my life. And in the same way, knowledge of God in the Gospel is what the Spirit uses to mature us as God's people. And it's a cycle You live a life worthy of Jesus, you grow in godly wisdom, you know God's will, you live a life worthy of Jesus, you grow in godly wisdom, you know God's will, and it just fuels itself as it goes around more and more and more. Know God's will, live a worthy life. Grow in godly wisdom, know God's will. Over and over it goes. And what happens is 11 and 12 happens. A reference to strength and joy. Wisdom from God gives strength and endurance and patience to live in a culturally tricky time as God's people. Wisdom to live well, and it's joyful. It isn't gloomy living. Joy from being God's holy people in Christ, joy that Jesus has qualified us in verse 12 for this. I'm sure many of you have on your desk or in a cupboard a graduate diploma of such and such or a Masters of Education or Business or some sort of document that affirms and tells everyone that you've done a thing to get a qualification and now you can do the thing you do. Some of you don't even do the job you're qualified for. It's in the cupboard, but you have one. And the question Paul wants them to know is, how do you get qualified to be part of God's kingdom of light? What do you do? What do you need? What about God giving you the qualification of Jesus? Because that's what God does, and that's grace. We've been qualified into an inheritance, not an Old Testament inheritance inheritance of land, but a future kingdom over the earth, all through and only by Jesus. And for the Colossians, it's a great reminder that one day you'll be in a kingdom of divinity and light. Any sort of mystical thinking tempting them to turn away from Jesus. Any focus on other things is not going to be worth it because the substance is Jesus and that's what 13 and 14 emphasize. Four, linking it all together. And Paul draws us back to the cross. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice the two things God has done in the past for us, rescued and bought. But interestingly, redemption is present. It means it's ongoing. We are positionally new from the past of the cross, qualified by Jesus alone through his death and resurrection to be in the kingdom of light. But you and me are being renewed presently from the darkness for sin day by day. Paul wants them to know that prior to Jesus, darkness was their authority, the place they lived and played in, a realm that's the opposite to the kingdom of his Son. And the contrast he's making is that there's a darkness that restricts life to that of a kingdom that is ruled by someone dearly loved by God, full of light and freedom, and that's Jesus, and you're in Christ. And then he ends his prayer having thanked God for the gospel that came to them, praying that God will keep filling them up so they can carry on with confidence in that gospel, that's what he prays for. So perhaps you can think of it like this. As fertilizer gives a plant nutrients to grow, so the Spirit gives us the knowledge of the gospel so that we grow too. want to mature, know the gospel more and more. As the dirt is also the foundation for growth, so in Jesus he transplants us, he grafts us into his kingdom and that's our position for growth. And as the rain gives strength and health, so too our ongoing redemption is needed to forgive our current and ongoing sins in this life. And then as the sun shines, so too we mature in that gospel and the fruit appears. Seeds of mission are scattered to others as well. All to the praise of God for what he has done, all for our joy and God's glory through Jesus Christ. So then, let's carry on in the gospel. And let's pray others would too. I want to say, now, if you're visiting here today, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Um, but for everyone else that's not visiting, so if you've been here more than once, this is talking to you, I want to say, as your pastor, I am thrilled and I am thankful to God for you at Golden Grove. I'm thankful if you're a guest as well, please, but bear with me for a moment. I'm thankful that you've understood the grace of God in Jesus. I'm thankful to God that I've not just heard of your faith and love, like Paul did the Colossians, but I've seen a love for God's people. I've seen a love for the gospel in you, and I love that, and I'm thankful to God for you. You see, Paul's prayer is a model and an example of the priorities to pray in our lives for one another. And it's encouragement, too, and a challenge to go deep enough in our relationships with others to accurately know the spiritual health of those around us, too. After all, how did Paul know all about the Colossians if he'd never been there? Epaphras told him, 7 and 8. Let us not underestimate the value of prayer and relational intimacy in our church. And while the Colossians were feeling fragile and tempted by the winds of culture and change, I reckon these first 14 verses were a huge shot in the arm of encouragement. So they could have walked away from hearing this letter read and said, ah, Jesus is the best. I am going to keep faith and carry on in Him. And I'm so glad that Paul is praying for me. So be encouraged here today To keep faith and carry on in this gospel. Let's pray that others would do that as well. That we'd all be filled with the knowledge of God. That we would then live wisely, worthy of God, bearing fruit, full of joy and thankfulness to God for transferring us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. All for the glory of God. Let's be a church like that, eh? Wouldn't that be great? You know, we haven't done an over-coffee question for a while, uh, but we will today and for most weeks in Colossians. So uh, after the service, when you're having coffee and chatting and saying hello, um, ask someone, how can I pray for you like Paul prayed for the Colossians? How can I pray for you like Paul prayed for the Colossians? To grow in wisdom and knowledge and insight and to love Jesus a bits more and, and thank God that you see that in other people too, because I see it in you and I'm thrilled to bits. Let me pray for you our great God and Father of Jesus Christ. Thank you that by your Holy Spirit you've given us a new birth. We're in Christ for those who trust you, and I pray that from that we would grow and mature in that gospel, reflecting on your kindness to us, because it's so amazing. Help us to be intimate, to pray deeply for one another, that we would mature and grow in that. Lord, help us to be vulnerable, to be intimate, to share for your sake so we can grow to know you more, to live well, to live worthy as your people, so that we can carry on when the winds of change and culture influence us away, we stand firm in the gospel we believe. Amen.